I don't know if I'm supposed to say Merry Christmas or Happy New Year, Happy Fourth of July, Feliz Navidad, all the above. I do know I want to say God is good and all the time. Do you believe that today? Boy, as we have been walking through the book of Philippians and the theme the, this December has been joy to the world, what uh, you experience today through the life of those three that were singing is exactly what Paul has been talking about. That joy is not dependent on our circumstances, but joy is dependent on a person that apart from Jesus, you can't experience joy. That joy is only found in the person of Jesus. And so we wanna, I want to give you just a quick review. Maybe you haven't been here the last few weeks as we've been talking about joy to the world. And uh, the first week we talked about finding joy. And I'll just kind of give you one sentence review of the three weeks, okay? That way we won't be here all day, all right? So are you excited that the kids are in here with us today? How many of you parents are a little nervous that your kids are in here today? Okay. I don't know why I see parents with teenagers raising their hand. But anyways, I, I, I guess I do understand that. So a sermon in a sentence, week one, chapter one of Philippians one says this, you can't have joy without Jesus. You can't have joy without Jesus. Week two, the one sentence review would be this, joy comes through surrender to Jesus and service to others. Surrendering to Jesus and service to others. Jesus, others, and then you. Week three, the one sentence sermon would be this. Remember who you belong to and where you are going. Because when we have that perspective of eternity and not the temporal, get our eyes off the temporal Paul talks about, that we're going to look to the fact that um, as we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the first coming of Jesus. And that's that's worth celebrating, isn't it? But we anticipate the second coming of Jesus. And that's worth anticipating, isn't it? Are you looking forward to Jesus returning? I know I am. And what does Jesus want us to do while we wait? He wants us to work and he wants us to worship. I think of it this way because in the text it says eagerly waiting his return. So I think that we should eagerly wait that we should effectively work, and that we should enthusiastically worship. And we've got to do that today, haven't we? I'm thankful for that. So today in, in uh, Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. And remember, I want to give you the context in case maybe you, weren't, you haven't been here. Paul is writing a letter to a church, a specific church, the church at Philippi. He's writing this around A.D. 61. He's imprisoned in Rome. And about 10 years prior to him writing this, you can read the account of it in Acts chapter 16. But in Acts chapter 16, Paul went to Philippi. He led this lady to the Lord named Lydia. Then he was arrested. Him and Silas were in jail, and they were really sad, right? No, they were in jail worshiping, and then they got released because of the earthquake. And out of those accounts... There was a church that started there at Church of Philippi. This was 10 years prior to him writing this. So Paul writes back to the church at Philippi, and he wants to encourage them. We'll see in chapter 4, he wants to admonish them. He's reminding them to live in unity because we want to live in unity for the sake of the gospel. And he wants them, the, kind of this theme that rises to the top is we can be joyful in spite of our circumstances. 
And in chapter 4 here, as he kind of closes out this letter, he is thanking the church for their generosity. And, and so I was uh, thinking this week, um, what a great opportunity. So we, we've seen this morning already modeled for us what Paul talked about. That if our joy is in the Lord, we can be joyful even when we're sad. Because there is something we're waiting on. That we have a hope. And his name is Jesus. We've seen that modeled on the stage for us today. I think also we have an opportunity today to see modeled what generosity can do when a church is generous. This is what Paul is talking and writing to the church at Philippi. Thank you for your generosity. Because of your generosity, I've been to go on mission trips, and I've seen lots of people saved and other churches started. So I want to invite Tyler Martin, if you would, to come up to the stage this morning. And some of you don't know Tyler. Tyler grew up at Hallmark. And uh, God called him to plant a church. So three years ago, this coming January, him and his family, his family has grown since he left, but him and his family uh, went to Bar None, Wyoming. Anybody been to Bar None, Wyoming? I'm going to guess about seven of us in here maybe. Okay, Bar None, Wyoming, and he started a church. And so I just want to give him an opportunity today to give a little report uh, and as Paul did, just to thank you as a church for your generosity. Could we give him a hand this morning? Thank you, Tyler. That was my bad. Uh, good morning. It's, uh, it's a lot warmer here than it was back home. And um, we brought only winter clothes. So we've been sweating really bad um, here. But it's been great to be back in the old stomping grounds. Uh, this is my lovely wife, Ashley. Yep, she just half raised her hand. Yep, there you go. So, um, and then we've got three kids, um, a four-year-old, two and a half, and then that little baby making noise is ours. And so um, I want to give an update about what God has been doing in Wyoming through the generosity of Hallmark Baptist Church. Um, so I'll give an update on my family and then an update on our church. And... Um, one thing that I've always known is that your marriage comes before your ministry. And what I learned is that church planting is really hard. It takes a lot of work, a lot of time. And I've never, sorry, Pastor John, I never really worked that hard before. I used to work here. I thought I was working okay. You're, you're not telling us anything we don't know. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> Amen. And so when I got there, I realized it was going to take a lot harder work than I'd ever worked before. And um, with that work level, it also meant that I needed to really pay much more attention to my marriage. And um, so the, the two words that I want to say uh, in regards to family and in regards to church is just healthy and sustain. And so we wanted to be healthy and we wanted to have something that we could sustain. We have three children under four. That's impossible to sustain. And so we just began really focusing on how can we be healthy in our marriage because the healthier we are as husband and wife, the better we are as mom and dad, the better I am as pastor, and she also leads our music. And so uh, it really all started in our home, and God's been so gracious to teach us some healthy rhythms. Our rhythms may not work for your marriage, but it's been great just to see some things that we can do weekly, um, things that we can do just to turn off Netflix a couple nights a week and just talk to each other. Who knew it's very difficult to do? Um, I rely on Netflix way too much. 
And so we've developed some habits in our family that have got us a lot healthier and a lot more sustainable. And that's been amazing to see. And we see that passed down into our kids. We've established rhythms where we get into the word uh, or sing or pray or do scripture at nighttime. And that's been awesome to see our little kids learning um, about the Lord and, and, and living out the gospel in our, in our homes. Uh, and so that's been great. Um, so thank you for your prayers and thank you for your giving that allows us to be able to do some of these healthy rhythms. And then I'm so overjoyed to share with you about our church. We began with 10 people three years ago, or two years ago. Sorry, the church started two years ago. Um, we began with 10 people in a trailer house, and we, we just did one service in public. We were like, no one's going to come. No one cares that we're here, but let's just do one service just to see. And we saw a bunch of people there, and we're like, uh-oh, we're not going to fit in the trailer anymore. And so we started renting out an old World War II airplane hangar that's turned into a restaurant in our town. And by God's grace, we've grown from 10 to about 40 people. We've seen, we've seen 20 people come to know the Lord and repent of their sins and be baptized, and it's been absolutely amazing. Yeah, amen. And so, again, we were told that it was going to take forever and that no one was going to get saved, you know, until like four years in. So we were ready for a long haul, and then God brings a lot of people to Christ. And I was like, man, how can we be healthy and how can we sustain? And so uh, we've been really grateful to have uh, a guy in our church that used to be an enforcer in a biker gang. He used to beat people up. That was like what he did for fun on the weekends. And now he's one of the pastors of our church. Uh, God does a great thing to change lives. Um, and then we had a family um, from East Texas. He stepped down from his position in his family's company where he would be a six-figure income at his family's company. He sold everything in the house where it was right by a lake, and they moved to Wyoming. And he's become one of our other associate pastors. And so those two, if you don't know me, I'm not organized, they've been organizing and making sure that the job gets done well. And so that's been our healthy and our sustain. And um, now we're we used to meet on Wednesdays. We're meeting on Sundays beginning in January, and we're going to start adding in some times to train. We've got a lot of new Christians in our church, and none of them, so many people, this, is, this blows my mind, I'm sure it'll blow yours. Almost all of our members, this is the first church they've ever been a member in. Uh, many of them, this is the first Bible they've ever owned. In two years of a church, we've given out over 65 Bibles to people uh, many of them was their first Bible ever. Or, you know, grandma gave them one when they were a kid, but they don't know where it is anymore. And so, and again, some of that funding is because you guys are giving to us. We're able to have a resource to do that. Let me tell you some stories, and then I'm going to close. As a way of encouragement, I want to tell you five names. A woman named Emily thought she was saved her whole life. She grew up in church. She, she prayed the prayers. She'd walked the aisles. She's done the things. She started coming to our church and started hearing the gospel week in and week out. And she said one day as she was walking through our town, which is beautiful, by the way. It's an awesome walk path. You can see the mountain. It's amazing. She said she was on that walk path when God opened up her eyes that she was not saved. She fell down to her knees in the middle of Barnon, and she cried out to the Lord. And her fire for the Lord was so infectious that her friend from work was coming with her. She also gave her life to the Lord. And then they were so pumped up that every time they went to work, they were talking about church and talking about Jesus and about what he had done. So another one of their coworkers who was 
battling depression and anxiety, she, she started coming, and she gave her life to the Lord, and we were able to baptize all three of them at the same time, and, and we were just so pumped about that. Then there was another guy, his, his one-year anniversary is on Wednesday, and he's going to be sharing with our church his testimony and what God has done in his life, and he got saved from a life of partying and rebellion, and then his best friend, who was his bar-drinking buddy, he was like, I want this guy to get saved. And so we just kept praying and praying and praying. There was two people in our church that were regularly sharing the gospel with this guy. And after nine months, now this guy's best friend, Matt, also just got saved. And we're planning on his baptism after the first of the year. And so we're praising God for souls that are being saved, but we can't just leave them there. We want to grow them. And that takes a lot of work, takes a lot of resources. And, and to be honest, it takes money. And that's where... Our, as Paul is thanking this church for their generosity, I want to thank you for yours. Not only do you support us monthly, but also from time to time throughout the year, usually at perfectly needed times, you send love offerings. And all of that, every time that you give any amount to this church, it is going all over the world. Not just to us, but to other missionaries. They're seeing the exact same types of things happen. And so I just want to thank you um, for that. And I want to thank you for your generosity to this church, and I hope that you've been encouraged that the little, any little or a lot that you're doing here is, is God is using that to multiply it and bring people to Christ all over the world, especially in Bar Nunn, Wyoming, and we thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Tyler. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Love you. As he was telling that story, I was... Uh, Reminded that Christmas Eve, um, I was actually at the gym working out, mainly because I was eating so much. Can I get an amen to that? And I, and I got a video. And the video was really dark, and I couldn't understand a word that was being, it was a, it was a song. And it was a candlelight service in China. I don't know what they were saying, but I know what they were saying. And I think, as Paul writes this letter, you know, the last 18 months has been a little bit crazy for church planters and missionaries and, well, for all of us. But nothing can stop the work of God. Amen. And, and as Paul, we're going to see Paul talking about generosity, that he says, it's not, it's not because I have need or want. He said, I've learned to be content, but what, what Paul was encouraging the church to be generous for was because he wanted them to be blessed, he says, to the fruit added to their account. And, and so for you today to hear of the people in Bar none, who probably most of you will never go there, but there's people that know Jesus because of your generosity. Even less of you will probably go to the other place I mentioned. But there are people there that know Jesus because you're generous. Isn't that neat to think about today? And I would encourage you, this is what Paul said, if, if you're not generous, you should be. Not because God needs your money. This may shock you, but God does not need your money. But you're the one that misses out when you're not generous. 
You're, you're the one that misses the joy of giving. All right, so that was my mini message before we get to the message, all right? Philippians chapter 4. Let, let's take time to read this uh, this morning. Philippians chapter 4. And because people have made me cry this morning, I'm definitely wearing these glasses today. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren. What I want to do this morning as we walk through this is just kind of walk through it and explain some things as we read it, okay? And then at the close, I'm just going to give you five little points of, of application. I think as we talked about finding joy and choosing joy and enjoying the journey, it seems at the end here, this last, again, this is a letter written to a church. So it's, there's some practical things we can pull out of that. Uh, and, and that is, well, we're going to get into it, all right? But he says, therefore, in the first verse, and we've talked about this before, when you see a therefore, you're supposed to do what? Go look and see what it's there for, right? And I think what he's the therefore is therefore is what we looked at last week in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 3. It says, our citizenship is in heaven, verse 20, chapter 3, from which also we eagerly await. And so Paul is saying, because of this reality, that you are a follower of Jesus and you're eagerly awaiting the return of Christ, you are, as we said, effectively working. You're energetically or enthusiastically worshiping. He says, so that or therefore, then the rest of verse 2, kind of, we're going to not read the middle right now. He says, therefore, stand fast in the Lord. What Paul has said is because of the hope you have in Jesus, that in spite of your circumstances, you can stand fast in the Lord because we eagerly await. And in the middle of verse number one, he just points out, it's like an encouragement to the church. He says, you're, you're my trophy. When you stand fast, when you're faithful to the Lord, when you show up to church, that's what in Hebrews it talks about, that just gathering together is an encouragement to other believers. And Paul is saying, listen, I, again, he's writing to this church. Ten years ago, he started this church. He saw those people saved, and there's this emotion of, when I see you stand fast in the Lord, in spite of your circumstances, when I see you choosing and finding joy and enjoying the journey in spite of your difficulties, when you are leaning into Christ, he says, it's my joy, it's my trophy, it's my crown. I'm encouraged by your faithfulness. That's simply what he's saying. Look at verse 2. I implore Eudia and implore Syntyche. If that's exactly how you're supposed to pronounce it, trust me. To be of the same mind in the Lord. And so here's where it gets a little personal. Let's think about this for a moment. This is being read in a church. Like, you know, they have a service. They say, hey, Paul, he's written us a letter. He wants all of us in the church today to hear from Paul, written from prison. And when you think about this, he mentions two ladies' names. And he's not saying that they are so delightful. And walking in the Lord in peace and unity. Look, look what he says. I implore you, I implore these two ladies, be of the same mind in the, in, in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion. We don't know who the true companion is, but there's this third party. He's saying, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Paul is saying, look, there's some, there's some arguing, gossiping problems happening in the church. So we can't really apply that to our church because that doesn't really happen here, Right? Ever, ever. But could you imagine if I got up this morning and called out two people in the church and said, hey, uh, I'm not even going to come up with some names. It wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be good. 
But he says, again, why would, why, again, this is a theme that is in the, in the entire letter. That we're going to put others' needs first before our own. We're going we're to humble ourselves for the sake of unity, for the sake of the gospel. Like the church and everything that happens at church doesn't have to be just for me and the way I like it. I, I wished it was. But it's not. That I'm going to be willing. And so he calls, I, it just amazes me that this letter is going to be read in front of the church and he calls out two ladies in the church. How, what do you think they did at that moment? I mean, they didn't have pews, but if they did, they would have crawled under the pew, right? But he calls them out. And what's unfortunate in church today is that we don't see this practice very much. Typically, when there's a dispute in the church among families or people or individuals or two women or two men or whoever, you know what usually happens today in the church? Someone just leaves. And you you know what usually happens? Both of them leave. Jesus talked about this in Matthew. He says that we should reconcile with one another. He talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't come to the altar and and worship and pray and and bring your sacrifice to the Lord if you know there's someone across the room you need to go talk to. Now, Paul's not saying it's easy, but he is saying it's right, that we should reconcile with one another. Not just like we've created in the American consumer culture of church has just created, well, I'm just going to leave. And we've convinced ourselves it's the right thing to do. Okay, now you know why I didn't call anybody's names out, right? Let's keep reading. Again, unity for the sake of the gospel. Verse number four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's the theme of the book right there. Verse 5, let your gentleness be known to all men, the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's a lot in that, right? Be anxious for nothing. We've paraphrased, paraphrased that over the years to say, worry about nothing, pray about everything. I love this, this statement of um, Rick Warren. Rick Warren says, uh, let me find it here. Worry is the warning light that God is really not first in my life at this particular moment. Let me me read that again. Worry is the warning light that God is really not first in my life at this particular moment. Because what we've said and what what we've seen in the scripture here is that if we're going to have joy in our life, Jesus has to be first. Well, if we are worried and anxious, we're not joyful, are we? And the reason is, Jesus isn't first in our life. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. And when we pray about everything, what is the benefit? What's the promise? We'll have peace. We'll have joy. I'd like to say it this way. Worry is having a conversation about your problems with yourself. And prayer is simply inviting God into the conversation. Inviting God in this conversation, God, how can you fix this? God, how can you help me? God, what do I need you? How do I need to respond? And let's keep reading. And he says in verse number eight, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. 
The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of, what is the word? Peace will be with you. So in verse 7, he says, if you'll worry about nothing, pray about everything, you'll have the peace of God. In verse number 8, he says, if you'll meditate on these things, meditate on the word of God, meditate on holy things. Don't worry about the unholy things. So to meditate, and here's the reality is you cannot meditate on what you don't know. And that's why you see in the scripture the encouragement and the challenge to memorize the word of God because we want to memorize the word so we can meditate on the word. For, for those of you, how many of you would identify, self-identify today that you are a worrier? Okay, just put your hand up. I'm not going to say be proud of it, but put your hand up. You're a worrier, okay? Here's, I got some great news for you. If you by nature are a worrier, if you will put your mind to it, you will be the best prayer warriors there are. Because you already know how to mull it over and over and over and over and over and over. You meditate all the time. Correct? So invite, invite the Lord into that conversation. And you have, I, I believe this, you have the potential to be the best prayer warriors. Because you're really good at mulling things over in your head. And Paul just says, if you will do that, you'll have the God of peace. All right, let's keep reading verse number 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. And again, he's speaking to their generosity. He gets into it, verse number 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I always have that word learned underlined. Because I don't think it is a natural response for us to be content. It's not my natural, it's not my default setting to be content. But Paul said, I've learned to be content that with whatever God has blessed me with, whatever God has given to me. And, you know, it amazes me that, um, I don't know about you, but at Christmas season, like I can go most of the year and not really want much. But when it comes to Christmas, there's a lot of stuff I want. Can I get an amen to that? You know, I had this... um, the other day, our, our family uh, did this gingerbread house competition. Anybody done that? I don't recommend I mean, yeah, it's great. And you know what I was, I mean, it was an awesome time just to be with family. You know what I was thinking about, honestly, when I was building this masterpiece? I was thinking... What other culture decorates food and throws it away? Because I've been in those other places. And all of this, you know, beautiful masterpiece that people would love to eat. And you know what? I was thankful for the Lord. I didn't, I didn't feel guilty about it. I felt blessed. I mean, it, it challenged me to maybe to give more, to pray more, but I'm thankful I live where I live. Amen. I'm thankful God has blessed me. I'm thankful that the gospel came to me at a young age. I'm, there's a lot of things for me to be thankful for and a lot of reasons for me to, to be content with what I have. 
And so Paul continues talking about this, and he says, again, this most, well, verse number 12, I know how to be abased, I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I've learned both to be full, to be hungry. I've really learned how to be full this week, both to abound and to suffer need. And then the most misused verse in all the Bible, I think, Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Notice that the context is not baseball, it's not football, it's not hitting home runs. It always amazes me, you know, when the sports and the guy gets up to try to get a hit and he's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Have you ever thought that the pitcher may be praying the same exact thing? <laughs> I can do all, it's not what it is. What is what Paul saying he can do through Christ's strength? What's the immediate context? Be content. Be content in prison. And remember what he said in verse number. I've learned it's like you have you're going to have to train and discipline and work at it. I've learned to be content in all things, in all circumstances, in all areas. I can choose joy because I have Jesus, and I can do this in God's strength in me. It's not in my strength; it's in God's strength. Verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. And here's where he thanks the church. Now you Philippians know all this in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia. No church, no one shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. And this is why he has such an affection for the churches. They supported his work of being a missionary and traveling. And this church was faithful. This church was generous. He says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Again, you sent aid. You helped me. You encouraged me. Through your generosity. Then he says what we already spoke about, verse 17. Not that I speak, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to what? To their account, to your account. It's just like when Tyler gets up here and says, 20 people in the last two years have given their life to given their life to Christ in Bar None, Wyoming. And what Tyler is saying, he declares that is church, God was going to supply my needs no matter what. If Hallmark stopped giving to them, we're not planning on it, Tyler. If we stopped giving to them, God would still provide for you, wouldn't he, Tyler? But we would miss out on what God is doing in Barnum, Wyoming. And that's what Paul is saying. Thank you for your generosity because, as Tyler just testified, this church has reached all over the world because of your generosity. Again, I'm thankful that we have so many missionaries that we get to be a part of and partner with. But we're not their lifeline. God is. We just get to be a part of what God's doing. That's, that's why I give. And so he continues. Verse number, where are we at? Let's read verse 17, verse 18, excuse me. Indeed, I have all and abound. Again, writing from prison, I am full, having re- Receive from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. So again, they've sent another gift, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to who? To God. Their gift was a sacrifice to the Lord, well-pleasing to God. And then he says, my God shall supply all. Does he say my needs? What does he say? all your needs. Because you've been generous, God's going to supply your needs. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. This is the conclusion of the letter. The brethren who are with you, with me, greet you, and all the saints greet you. 
but especially those who are of Caesar's household. And I think he's speaking to the, remember when he said earlier that his, because of the chains that all the guards have given their life to Christ? I think that's who he's referring to. It made me think just a few months ago, uh, we were in uh, San Antonio, and Tyler had one of the guys he was talking about up here that gave his life to Christ. And he doesn't know me, but when he met me, you know what he said? Tell your church thank you for sending Tyler to Wyoming. This is what Paul is saying. Like These guards are saying, thank you, church, because of your generosity. We heard the gospel. What an awesome thought. Verse uh, number 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So, five things real quickly and we'll be done. Five ways to practice joy. Number one, reconcile and rejoice. There's a challenge here, right? He, he starts off this last part of the letter saying, if, if you have Ought is the like King James version. If you have a dispute, if you have frustration, if you're mad right now, if you're angry, if you can't think of so and so without like gritting your teeth and saying, I wish, you know, you can fill in the blanks. What Paul is saying is, you need to make that right. You need to either ask, you need to ask for forgiveness, you need to seek forgiveness, you need to be reconciled. And why, why is Paul so interested? in the church being in unity. Remember the words of Jesus? What did Jesus say? He said, they will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. And he was speaking in the context of the church. In other words, if, if you live like Christ in the church in unity and humble yourself, Paul is saying and Jesus is saying the outside, those who don't know Jesus, will be drawn to Jesus because of the unity in the church. So reconcile. Number two, worry about nothing, pray about everything. This is a good practice. When you, when you find yourself start worrying, invite Jesus in your conversation. Number three, think about what you think about. Such deep theology in that one, right? Think about what you think about. We... We are inundated with information in all forms. Just as Tyler alluded to, turn Netflix, Netflix off. That was an interesting word. I've had too much sugar this week. Turn Netflix off. Have a conversation. Open up your Bible. Memorize some scripture. Think about what you think about. Number four. Learn to be content. It's, it's, a process. it's a process. It's continual. I'm pretty good at being content if I don't look at anything. If I don't go to the store or if you don't show me your new truck, I'm pretty good at being content. Learn to be content. Number five, live generously with your time, your talents, and your treasure. Live a generous life. There's joy in being generous. Did you know that? It's much more blessed to give than to receive, even at Christmas. And I hope that this, as we end this year, these five simple steps 
Maybe, maybe it's a good habit for you to pin them up somewhere, put them on your phone, take a screenshot, something. And every day, let, let's just think through those. I want to practice joy in the new year. Could you guys do that? Just shake your head. Pretend like you're making a commitment right now. Yeah. We're not, we're not making New Year's resolutions, all right? We know how those go. You know, the only New Year's resolution I kept was in uh, 1997. Anyways, we're not going to talk about that. All right, so what I want to do today is to close the service in worship. What, what we see in this text, what we've walked through the last few weeks, is that if we really want to have joy, obviously it's, it can't be without Jesus. But it's about surrender. It really is. These five steps of practicing joy, it's about surrender. That I want to wake up every single day and say, Jesus, you're worth it all. Jesus, I surrender to you. Jesus, whatever you have for me today, I accept it. And I, I thank you for it. 